Let's pray together before we open God's Word. Father, thank you so much for how you've blessed us already during the service, the beautiful music and the beautiful testimonies. And now we've come to really the main event. We're just going to listen to you and your word for a few moments together. In our weakness, we cannot receive your word on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill this place, to stir within us, and to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word as what it is, your word, in its full power. So would you please make that miracle happen among us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for praying with me. Let's spend this Thanksgiving Sunday getting to know God a little bit. It's really good to express gratitude for God's blessings, what he has done for us. That is excellent, and we should do that. And it's even better to give thanks for who God is, just to enjoy who he is now that we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So we're going to just look at three verses and spend a little bit of time together in Genesis chapter 12. You can go ahead and be finding Genesis chapter 12 in your Bibles. As you're flipping there and finding Genesis 12, have you ever discovered an old photo album of your parents when they were younger or maybe some of their old high school yearbooks and flip through to get a glimpse at what they were like back in the day? And it, it gives you some insight into who they are now, who your mom and dad are. That's sort of what these Old Testament historical stories do for us with God. We get to see God revealed his character and his ways revealed in his actual dealings with his people in real human history. We see a lot about him in the story of creation. We learn a lot about him in the story of Cain and Abel. We learn a lot about him in the story of Noah and the great flood, which we've talked about a good bit here as a church. We learn a lot about him in the story of the Tower of Babel, and we learn a great deal about him from the story of Abram, who you might know as Abraham. And that's where we begin in Genesis chapter 12. It's impossible to overstate the importance of what God did in history with this man named Abram. If you think about the book of Genesis, if you can kind of picture it laid out in front of you, all the chapters of Genesis, the first 11 chapters cover a huge sweeping span of history, huge events, and it does it so quickly. Eleven chapters covers everything from creation all the way through many, many generations. And when it gets to chapter 12, it all slows down and focuses in on Abram and Abraham. And really, the whole rest of the Old Testament pretty much is an offshoot of this, what we're going to read here. The first 11 chapters is kind of like a, a montage in a movie, you know, where they play the music and you just see scene after scene of things to indicate a big span of time, and now we're at something that God really wants us to slow down and think about, what he does in the life of Abram. So we're just going to read one scene, verses 1 through 3, God calling Abram to obey him based on his promises. And what the question I want you to be considering as we read this is, what can I learn here about God based on this history? So with that question in mind, let's just read these three verses. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I remember when we moved from Raleigh back to the Charlotte area. We spent the whole first uh, year of our marriage in Raleigh, and before that, we went to college in that area. So that's where we sort of built our the beginning of our married life together. And when we moved from there to Charlotte, we left our place and our people. We had a place up there. We had our apartment up there. And we had the routes that we would drive to work, and we had our restaurants that we had gotten to know and were comfortable with, and we had our church up there, which is where our people were. And we had a people up there. We had what was called a care group, I believe is what they called it, kind of like our house-to-house groups, a small group in a relatively large church. And we had to leave them when we moved. And I remember they all came, and they helped us load up the big U-Haul truck of our apartment. It's amazing how much stuff was in that tiny apartment. And they helped us cram all that in the large moving truck. And then we went to Bojangles to eat together one last time before we left town to move back home. And it was hard physically to move. If you've moved at all recently, you know it's not easy to lug all your stuff around. And it was hard emotionally to leave those folks. I just remember the feeling of looking around the table at these people. I hadn't realized how close we had grown together until it was time to leave them. We had grown quite close. And it was difficult to trust God in that move. But we were moving back to our hometown, which was still our place. And we were moving back to our home people. Our families were here. We had some friends here. And we were moving someplace where we knew where we were going. None of those things were true for Abram. For him to go from his country was to go from the the geographical context of his life at that time, his land. For for him to go from his kindred and his father's house was for him to leave all of his people, except for a few very, very close, his wife and his nephew and their servants. He was going to have to leave his geographical context. He was going to have to leave his social context, his whole social network of support and identity and heritage he was going to have to leave behind in order to obey God here. I met a young man yesterday. We were selling a piece of furniture on an app called OfferUp. I don't know if anybody's ever used that app. Uh, you don't know who this person's going to be until they show up to pick up your furniture. And he showed up, and he was a young guy. I thought he looked very young, like just out of high school. It turns out he was 28. I guess I'm old enough now that 28 looks to me like really young. And I was getting to know him a little bit, and he grew up somewhere in the Midwest. I can't remember what state it was, and that's where his family is. Went to school in Florida. Then they got married. He and his wife got married, and they moved to New York for several years, and now they're living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that kind of mobility is not uncommon in our culture. It's not uncommon to leave your father's household and go live elsewhere in our culture, but it it was a lot less common in Abram's day. This was a big deal for him to leave his people. It was a big deal for him to leave his, his aging father, who he had God-given responsibilities toward. This was no small thing. 
So why would he do it? If you put yourself there in Abraham's shoes, Abram's shoes, what would compel you to do this? To leave everything that has given you your identity and your security to go to an unknown? Why would anybody do this? Well, the answer is clear. The only reason that he did it, and the only reason anyone would do it, is faith that God would do what he said he would do. That's it. Just simple trust and faith in God and who he is, that he's trustworthy and dependable, and that he would do what he said he would do. In those three verses, the phrase, I will, is repeated five times in just three verses. Let's read the verses again and look for what God said, I will do for Abram. Back at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here Abraham leaves everything that made up the context for his life, only having the promises of God. He did not have any visible fulfillment of these promises yet. God said, go from your country, and I will make of you a great nation. That means great in number would come from him, and great in stature. And we find out a little later, Abraham was 75 years old at this time. Now, granted, he lived to be about 175, but still the Bible makes clear he and his wife are beyond childbearing age here. And Sarah, we know from a passage right before this, his wife was barren and childless. So he had no indicator visibly that he should expect this to happen. All he had was the invisible promise of God to go on. God said, go from your kindred, and I will make your name great. You'll have a great reputation. Go from your father's house, and I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And through you and in you, I will bless all the nations of the earth, all the different people groups. Through Abram, God would, we know, looking back with hindsight, God would create the people of Israel, his chosen people, and they would become great. And then through Israel, we know, looking back in hindsight, would come Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, who would bring God's mercy and grace to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we know, looking back, that God would absolutely fulfill all of these promises, but Abraham was on the front end of that. All he had were the promises. He didn't have any of the fulfillment yet, and with just that, he was expected to obey this radical command to go from everything that he knew. So this Thanksgiving Sunday, I just offer you this reminder about God and who He is. He calls His people to trust Him. That's one of the main things about being God's people, is He wants us to trust Him. This is how His people began in these three verses. Trusting God, radically obeying God, based on simple trust in His promises. None of which have been fulfilled yet. That's how God's people began. That's how they continued. If you think about it, 
we are pretty sure that this book of Genesis and the related books were written and given for God's people around the time that they would be trying to enter into the promised land and conquering the promised land. So if you're an Israelite at that time, you need some assurance that God is going to do what he said he will do because you're about to go in with just one army and face a multitude of armies. And you're about to go into this promised land trusting in one God where they trust in a multitude of gods, which in that day must have seemed ludicrous. But yet again, God was calling his people to trust him, even though they could not foresee how he could possibly come through on his promises. That's how it still continues. This is still our DNA as God's people. Romans 4, verses 18 through 25, is a New Testament look back on the life of Abraham. And this is what we'll close our sermon with, Romans 4, 18 through 25. Romans 4, starting at verse 18. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this Thanksgiving, let's renew our trust in God. Let's not fear uncertainty. Let's remember that God's promises are our certainty. God's promises are our certainty. Certainty. Even if we cannot see their fulfillment, and even if we can't, if we're honest, imagine how they could be fulfilled. His promises are as sure as fact to us. Our new life in Jesus Christ is based on this. Our salvation is based on hope and trust and his promises that he's invested in Christ Jesus, that his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection all took place in order to save us from our sins, cleanse us from our sins, so that when we face God, we are okay with Him. All of His promises that help us with just daily living, His promises of provision and guidance and deliverance and perseverance, are sure, are certain. Some of you may, heading into Thanksgiving this year, have something that is haunting you, that's haunting your heart, some worry, some concern, some uncertainty, some fear. I imagine we each have at least one of these things. I don't know what else to call it. a thing. It's the thing that we tend to be thinking about as we go to sleep at night, as we drive down the road, as we wake up in the morning, that lurks in the future. 
Remember God's promises in Jesus Christ hold true. Belief in them, faith in in them is core to what it means to be a Christian. These are the promises that give us assurance for eternal life. That there will be a resurrection. When Jesus returns, we will be raised. We will be with God for all eternity. So we have so much to be grateful for this Thanksgiving. All of God's blessings to us that we enjoy day to day. But let's make sure to look past those to God himself. Remember who he is. Renew our faith in him, our trust in him. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this this word, this ancient word that is alive and living and active today. Let it have its full work in our hearts. Renew our trust and faith and allegiance to you. In Jesus' name, amen.